Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Well, years ago, a friend of mine told a story in a sermon that stuck with me. I realize a lot of you are thinking, that's odd, I can't remember a single thing that guy's ever said from the pulpit, but it can happen. The story was about a father and daughter who were out running errands one day when the little girl piped up suddenly from her car seat with a question. Daddy, how much do you love me? The father smiled into the rearview mirror and said, Oh, honey, I love you so, so much. But the girl wasn't satisfied, and so she repeated her question. No, Daddy, how much do you love me? And he said, Well, I love you a whole, whole lot. I mean, I love you and Mommy more than anybody else in the whole wide world. The little girl now seemed to be getting a little annoyed at the thickness of some grown-up skulls as she asked a third time, Daddy, I know you love me. But how much? Well, the young father was befuddled, and frankly, his feelings were just a little bit hurt that this child seemed to be questioning his love. But then, either in a fit of desperation or maybe a flash of inspiration, he said, I love you eight. (laughs) And this time, the girl got very quiet for a few minutes, pondering her father's love in her heart until she said, whoa. (laughs) I think this is a story about an incredibly successful moment of human communication. And I think there are lessons in it for us. Now that little girl must be well into her teens by now, so even she probably couldn't tell us whether if her father had said six, her four-year-old self would have found that number offensively small or whether a 12 on the paternal love scale would have been way too high to have been believed. What we do know is that she had little interest in relative concepts of muchness or more. She she didn't want vagaries like a whole, whole lot. But she knew very well that she had ten fingers on her hands and ten toes in her shoes, and that to count up to eight would have required almost, almost all of either set. Eight. The number eight sent her mind into the world of incarnate things she knew about. The world she was already wise enough to understand that her father's love had to show up in if that love were to make any sense to her at all. Did it ever occur to you how free of concepts and generalizations the Christmas story is, as Luke tells it? There's the emperor, Augustus, and a governor with the fantastic name Quirinius. How has Quirinius not come back into baby name Vogue? (laughs) There's a registration of some kind with apologies to King James. We don't actually know if taxes were involved, but anybody who's registered for T-ball or a dance competition or Girl Scouts camp knows about registrations, right? There's a trip from a town called Nazareth to another one called Bethlehem, because that's where Joseph's great-great-grandparents came from, all the way back to that great and very complicated King David. But that's another story for another time. And of course there's Mary, carrying a child in her round and beautiful belly, until there's a child and a baby in a manger, wrapped up in bands of cloth, because there was no room for them in the inn. 
We haven't even gotten to the shepherds, flocks, and angels. But can you at least see why no preacher with any sense at all will ever step into a pulpit after a children's pageant? What really is there to add? The grace conveyed to us in the incarnation is not something we extract from the particulars of this story. It is embedded firmly within them. They are what the love of God looks like. That little girl who wouldn't be satisfied with her father's feeling of love for her until he expressed it in terms of something real and out in the world that they shared, a world of countable objects like toes and governors and mothers and sheep and bands of cloth to wrap up newborn babies in. That little girl was actually on to an important and ancient question. It's the question of whether love, even God's love, can be said to be real at all if it remains a feeling or an emotion that is never communicated or turned into action. Is love real if I simply feel it all by myself? Is God's love real if God does? The Christmas story may not explicitly answer whether love exists apart from incarnation, but there is no love in the Christmas story except love that's communicated by way of incarnation, is there? About 300 years before the birth of Jesus, a philosopher in China named Shunji had a curious insight about the purpose of ritual. He believed that rituals create community by translating our love into action. I actually don't know anything at all about ancient Chinese philosophers, but I stumbled upon an article the other day titled, Rituals Create Community by Translating Our Love into Action, and sure enough, it was about it was our new friend Shunji. Most people over time, probably even most people today, have thought that religious rituals in particular are about pleasing or appeasing a God. You burn the incense, or say the prayer, or go to church, or make the sign of the cross when you step into the batter's box, hoping that God will like that you performed that little ritual and make things go a little more smoothly for you, right? Well, Shunji said, that's not what rituals are for at all. Rituals are one way that love stops being only a feeling inside us and becomes incarnate and active out in the world we all share. For example, with regard to funeral rituals, Shunji didn't think their purpose was to satisfy the gods so they'd treat the soul of the departed well in the afterlife. The rituals were for the living. And so in the particulars of Shunji's culture, he said that through them, Our love becomes the food, the wine, the garments, the thatched house of mourning. Well, doesn't it seem like God was enacting the very same truth, the very same kind of ritual, if you will, in the birth of Jesus? The incarnation is all about divine love, not staying sealed off safely in the heart of God in the perfect realm of eternity. The incarnation is the love of God taking up life on earth among us, entering human history, becoming real in the body of a baby who's as vulnerable to cold and cruelty and as needful of love and acceptance as any other baby that any other mother ever wrapped up in bands of cloth. Maybe because her mother taught her that this is the ritual mothers perform to let their newborns know they're safe and loved more than any parent quite knows how to tell them. And I'm coming to believe that this is why we're here. 
This is why we might actually come to church on Christmas Eve or any other day of the year. You can say that church is not a building. You can say that church is people and you'd not be entirely wrong. But people still need rituals to draw us into community by translating our love into action. Which means sometimes love becomes real to us through hymns and candles and bread and wine. Love really can come among us in mangers made out of tuba-fours and bathrobed shepherds and angels with utterly unconvincing wings. Love is still made incarnate in processions and preludes and awkward attempts to kneel next to other people awkwardly attempting to kneel in these creaky, impossible old pews. And in all of this, we're translating something inside us that we think may be love into rituals in this particular place with these particular people. So that love can make its way out into all of our actions wherever we are in the world, drawing us into loving communion with more of God's beloved world as it does. Because the real work of love, God's love and our love alike, has always been to become incarnate. The longing of all loves has always been to become real. So friends, I hope your Christmas this year is an absolute eight. <laughs> Which is to say that by, by way of some word or smell or action or gift, your love becomes a little more real in the life of somebody else who needs it. And that somebody else's love becomes expectedly real, unexpectedly real in your life. And even more than that, I hope you experience the love that has made us. The love that's still at work redeeming all our broken rituals and failed attempts to live out our loves. The love that became incarnate that night in Bethlehem to the amazement of shepherds. I hope you treasure that love's arrival in your life. Ponder this thing in your heart like Mary. And then go give it away to somebody else. Maybe someone who can't quite yet believe it could be true. Merry Christmas. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.